What happens when two bass road warriors spend quality time talking music and life with one of their peers? Bassist educator author David C. Gross and bassist and head honcho of KnowYourBassPlayer.com, Tom Semioli, trade eights with the legends of rock, jazz, funk, blues, folk, country, and more. Notes from an artist, revealing conversations with the legends who've created the soundtrack of our lives. What happens? You're about to find out. It's another episode of Notes from an Artist. David, let's get back to our bitches brew, ha ha. Absolutely. But first, I would like to thank everyone for their great comments on our first part of this brew, ha ha, and also for all the downloads off of the podcast. Thank you so much. We're going to continue onward, and let's sort of backtrack to last week. We were looking at all of the musicians who had played on Bitches Brew, and how Bitches Brew was the real tree that brought all these branches of electric jazz. I don't like the word fusion. I won't use it. It adds more to confusion than to fusion. I believe that's right. Let's look at Chick. His first few records were traditional jazz records. Now he sings, now he sobs. He is sessions, which are remarkable. And then I think there was Tones for Jones Bones, a great title for a record. And then, of course, he starts the Chick career we know and that the masses know is with the first return to Forever record. You have Stanley Clark in the bass chair, Joe Farrell on saxophone. And there you go, the branches, Erto from Miles Davis uh, from, from Bitches Brew and Laura Purim, his wife, uh, doing some vocal. That was Chick Corea doing What Game Shall We Play Today from the first Light as a Feather record. This is Notes from an Artist on CygnusRadio.com. And of course, that record, David, another bellwether record that was going to signal things to come. Tom, that was originally released as an import. That was not available in America at first. ECM was still a very, very small record label. I remember getting it. It was with the the shiny cover. You know how the British records and all the European records had shiny covers. The other thing that I would bring to mind is Chick Corea, as Keith Jarrett, which we'll get into later as well, went really back to piano. That first return to Forever and some of the second album was really a return to almost a pre-elect. The second return to Forever, well, Steve Gadd did the first record, but because he was such an in-demand session player, they had to get someone for the band. And who did they get? Who did they get, David? Lenny White. Lenny Just White. happened to be in the Bitches Brew Orchestra. Right. And we had, of course, Light as a Feather had the uh, seminal chick anthem, Spain, played. Correct throughout his career and let's play Spain for the folks and another thing that we need to mention is another bridge the one of Stanley Clark bassist extraordinaire and he totally went out with electric jazz he was really out of out of the Chick Corea band I would say he was probably the rockiest bass player that they had. Absolutely. And if you read early Stanley interviews, Stanley grew up in Philadelphia and he was inspired by Motown. He loved the Beatles. He loved the Stones. He got to play with the Stones in the late 70s. So talk about, yeah, Stanley, you're absolutely right. Stanley was a rocker as well. And of course, look at School Days later on and uh, I want to play with you with Jeff Beck. Yeah, yeah, Stanley's a rocker. You were just listening to two tunes featuring bassist Stanley Clark. The first was School Days from the album titled School Days Stanley Cork's third solo album and the next tune was The New Barbarians with Keith Richards Ronnie Wood Ziggy Modales Bobby Keys that was called Buried Alive live in Madison Square Garden this is Notes from an Artist CygnusRadio.com Chick Corea again Light as a Feather such an important record my wife and I saw Chick uh, last time we saw him was at the Blue Note in uh, I think 2015 we spent New Year's Eve with Chick which 
was an expensive ticket, but it was worth it to sit about five feet away from him. And of course, he played Spain and everybody in the club knew every note of that song. Talk about a an electric jazz composition that spans generation. That was the one that was Spain. It certainly was. And then, of course, we have to jump into the third. And at that point, Bill Connors was on guitar. Bill Connors, uh, you have Lenny White is back again. And then, right, again, you know, at the same time, Lenny, didn't Lenny do a Venusian Summer, which I think was right around that time. And again, you have Ray Gomez, Larry Coriel, Dougie Roush, who we're going to talk about soon with Santana, Larry Young, who was on Bitches Brew. Jimmy Smith's on organ. So you start the Bitches Brew branches just keep going out and out and out. Absolutely. That was the Venetian Summer Suite. Say that five times fast with Lenny White. This is Notes from an Artist on CygnusRadio.com. Let us talk about another artist who was a remarkable ambassador to Bitches Brew and what Miles was doing. And someone that spoke maybe a little bit more to my generation, because I come along in the 70s, and that was Carlos Santana. Now, his first three records, Santana 1, 2, and 3, were amazing records in terms of not only artistic breakthroughs, but commercial breakthroughs. David, I mean, if you look at these stats on Wikipedia, I mean, these are Michael Jackson numbers, where they're, you know, eight times platinum, five times platinum for the first three records. What was your impression when you first heard Santana, when he broke it? Woodstock? To be perfectly honest, I wasn't really much of a fan. I found his his tone to be very brittle. Okay. It wasn't until later on that I started realizing that he was a closer version of John Coltrane heading right. into the fusion era than anyone else. I think his legacy, and when you take a record like Jingo Rock, that's in my mind, I think of it as his love supreme. In 1972, Carlos Santana committed what Clive Davis said was commercial suicide when he made a record called Caravan Seri, a record which is very dear to our friend Benny Reitveld, who has been the musical director for Carlos Santana and his bass player for the past 30-some-odd years. And Caravan Seri is a homage to Bitches Brew. Again, we see Miles alumni. Lenny White is on that record. Doug Roush is in the bass chair. And we're going to play a song called Look Up and See What's Coming Down. And David, I think you'll agree, this album could have been on Miles' Get Up With It. So let's hear, look up, see what's coming now. Now, David, next year, Carlos puts out the record Welcome, and he's still on his Bitches Brew fixation with John McLaughlin and Joe Farrell, who also reappeared on uh, Chick's Return of Forever. And of course, in 74, he does the live album Lotus, which is a document of the 73 tour. And David, this record is so reminiscent of Agartha and Pangea. It's almost like a sister three-album set that, that fits right along with that. And like early Chick Corea, this was only available as import. Now, David, next year, year, Carlos puts out the record Welcome, and he's still on his Bitches Brew fixation with John McLaughlin and Joe Farrell, who also reappeared on uh, Chick's Return of Forever. And of course, in 74, he does the live album Lotus, which is a document of the 73 tour. And David, this record is so reminiscent of Agartha and Pangea. It's almost like a sister three-album set that, that fits right along with that. And like early Chick Corea, this was only available as import. That was an incident at Neshabar from the Lotus recording, 1973 in Japan, that was Carlos Santana and his band. This is Notes from an Artist 
on CygnusRadio.com. Then, of course, in 73, Carlos does Love Devotion and Savender with John McLaughlin, with Larry Young from Bitches Brew. John McLaughlin, of course, a Miles Davis alumni. Don Elias is on that record, another Bitches Brew guy. And Billy Cobham, another Bitches Brew, Electric Miles. That was Carlos Santana and John McLaughlin doing A Love Supreme. This is Notes from an Artist on CygnusRadio.com. The other thing that's most important, the biggest connection to all of this, is Columbia Records. Yes. Not only did they sign Carlos Santana, Miles Davis, but they also had John McLaughlin. I mean, right. it makes a great deal of sense that these guys were all around one another. There was competition, obviously, and it was a very, very fertile time. And Oh, and let's not forget Weather Report, another act on Columbia Records. Ah, uh, shucks. Yeah, it was. But again, this stuff, again, turning my generation on who did not, who weren't old enough to appreciate Bitches Brew or probably weren't that exposed to it other than late night FM radio. Carlos makes another record in 72. I'm sure you remember this live with Buddy Miles. And there's a song we're going to play now called Freeform Funkified Filth with uh, Ron Johnson as the bass player. And David, this sounds like Bitches Brew from Fillmore East. And it's it's a direct cousin to that. So let's get some freeform funkified filth out there. All right, that was Carlos and Buddy Miles. I know Buddy Miles is an acquired taste to some, but that's a topic for another show. There is an incredible record that was released on Alan Douglas's label. Alan Douglas, who produced Jimi Hendrix, called right. Devotion. Okay. With Larry Young, Buddy Miles, and of course, John McLaughlin. So we're going to play a tune from that right now. That was Marbles from John McLaughlin's Devotion on Douglas Records. Now, I had something else I wanted to talk about. There was this drummer who, uh, you know, he'd started with Mingus and Roland Kirk and folks like that. But in the 70s, also on Columbia Records, he did a record called Tales of the Exonerated Flea. Say that five times fast. And it so happens that Joe Farrell is on that record. Hmm. Where we heard that name. When, on one hand, Mr. Clive Davis is saying, oh, fusion, this is definitely career suicide. On the other hand, he was going, hey, folks, let's find some more fusion bands to sign. This looks <laughs> like it's happening. So you got a double-edged sword there, don't you think? Let's play Tales of the Exonerated Flea. Tales of the Exonerated Flea. Okay. More bitches brew. Uh-huh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump back in with even some more Carlos Ford our listeners, David. Another wonderful record that you must explore, everyone must explore, 1974, Illuminations with Alice Coltrane. And who's on that record? Oh, look, it's Dave Holland and Jack DeJanette. Where did they come from? (laughs) Bitches Brew. We're going to play a track called Angel of Sunlight. And David, this could have been a cut on Bitches Brew. This is Alice Coltrane and Carlos. Angel of Sunlight. But remember, too, Miles was still putting out killer electric records, even though if they weren't being released in America. Well, you had Big Fun, you had um, yes. Get Up With It, right? And Agarda and Pangea. Now, Agarda was the live show one day, and Pangea was the live show the next day in Japan. Right. Uh, Agarda came out in America, but Pangea did not. It was right before Miles went into his hibernation for five years. but uh, And records that were not really appreciated until much, much later. Absolutely. But and if again, you really, really listen to them, you'll hear... The sounds, or actually the sounds of the future. What was to come with guitar? Right, and and again, I think I think one of the reasons they did become appreciated in later years was Columbia Legacy did a wonderful job of remastering those records. Because as I mentioned to you, David, as a student in the University of Miami, when I went into the record library in 78, 79, and 80, those vinyl platters were kind of murky. 
But when they when they were remastered, Agartha Pangea, Bitches Brew, Big Fun, Get Up With It, Live Evil, even Jack Johnson, they're just a new they brought a real new clarity to those records and they really appeal to a, a younger generation. Look at all the hip hop artists that sample from those records. I think Miles was so far ahead of his time. We talk about he's ahead of his time artistically and musically, also sonically. His records, they really didn't have the technology to mass produce those records the way they should have been heard. Well, that's a good point, Tom. I, I never thought of it that way. It was interesting for me because I kept hearing about Pangea. I kept hearing about that yeah. record, hearing about that record. It was available as, as a Japanese import. And it really wasn't until it became a Japanese CD import. It really was startling. And here, we talk about this every now and then, but here's the point. I grew up a rock and roll. Let's face it, the Beatles. The Who, Don't. Brain, That's yes. what I grew up on. I heard it as it was first coming out. But the minute I was handed Bitches Brew, it ended any, let's say, genre affiliation. At that point, I just wanted to play great music. And right. it didn't matter where it came from. And I think, as our listeners could tell, we certainly don't have any uh, aspersions about going jumping genres at will. It's just amazing. It's just one of those seminal releases. It's so very important. And think about this, David. Wasn't, if I'm not mistaken, Bitches Brew was recorded in the summer of 69, but it did not come out until, what, March of 1970? March 30th, 1970. Did you imagine sitting on that record for that long? Well, I must say that that wasn't something that they went in the studio and cut the tracks and then... Right, of course. Teo Macero spent oodles of time chopping that stuff up. Yeah. And <laughs> from what I gather, and there were certain uh, outtakes where you have Miles yelling at Teo Macero. Uh, <laughs> probably... He cut it up. No, I don't like it. And had to do it again. No, I don't like that either. Until it came out. So I think that record, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see that as being such okay. a, a, a long stretch between. There was a lot of work to be done on it. There was a lot of work. Wouldn't it be wonderful to hear all the original tracks? As they were. Yeah, it certainly would be. And then uh, it's remarkable how you channel Miles Davis, uh, David. We'll, we'll have to uh, speak to Miles Davis from the, uh, from the world beyond. David, don't do it again. <laughs> David, you're stepping on my oxygen tube. <laughs> Miles, last words. <laughs> well, what was that story where John uh, Coltrane was on stage and just finished a solo? And the solo was maybe 25, 30 minutes. Now, whether the story is true or not, who cares? It's a great story. Uh, he gets off stage and he looks at Miles and says, Miles, I'm really sorry. I didn't know what to do. And Miles' famous words were, take the horn out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, there you go. We got to get Benny Wrightfeld back on the show. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we definitely do. And, uh, of course, we have some great... Uh, Miles stories, be sure to check out our Ron Carter uh, interviews, both with and without Dave Swift talking chartography. And Miles, of course, asking uh, Ron what chord he was playing. What note or what note he was playing, I believe, right? He, he Instead of the G minor, he went to the B natural. Right, right. I remember that. It just proof once again, there are no wrong notes. Now, David, remind me that when we do our next notes from an artist's live performance at Stitch Bar. 
on August 25th when we bring back the British blues to these Americans on the west side of Manhattan. Yeah, that's going to be a great show. It's, um, what is that, a Wednesday night, the 25th of August? It's a Thursday, Thursday night. It's Thursday night, August 25th, with the ah, notes from an artist orchestra. That's it, the NFAA Orc. Not to be confused with the Electric Light Orchestra or the Mahavishnu Orchestra or the Not Ready for Primetime Players. or But the, the whole 60s, 70s thing, we're going to have to do a part three and maybe a part four. And before we go, there was another band in England that we really need to talk about because they too were on Columbia Records during their heavy jazz phase and that was the soft machine oh you hopper absolutely we'll hop on that for our next show that's exactly right so this is david gross and i'm not david gross i'm tom tom semioli head honcho of know your bass player signing off bye-bye bye-bye now 